McShane Bible Study, day 203 and 204. We're going to get a little bit ahead today. Yeah, it's my birthday weekend coming up, and I'm not going to want to do Bible study. family's going to be over. Yeah, we'll have a bunch of family around <coughs> tomorrow night, so we're going to try to double up today and tomorrow. And so we are doing Judges 5 and 6. Judges 5 is the song of Deborah and Barack, although... You don't have to read long into the song to see it's clearly Deborah's song. Um, and, and they would they would make songs about things because it became easier for the people to remember. Paper was super expensive back then, right? Like, no one had paper, hardly. Um, but people could learn a song. And if they learned the song, they remembered the history. You see that? I mean, I think when y'all were younger, we, we used to do songs to help y'all remember, like the ABC song. It's a, it's a trick of how our brain works. If we put something to a song, we remember it better. And so they did that. And actually, there's more details about this battle of Deborah and Barack than, than in the actual writing of it. And man, Deborah really calls out <laughs> a couple of the tribes didn't help in the battle, and she calls him out and says, what were you doing sitting on your rear ends, right? Um, and, and so anyway, she just describes it, and a lot of it is stuff we already read yesterday. In Judges 6, we see, so they had, at the end of Judges 5, it had 40 years of peace, right? And then the people turn away from God again, and now Midian is uh, oppressing the people, and then a prophet comes and he starts speaking, you people have turned away from God and this is what has happened. Turn back to God. Doesn't give us his name. He didn't write a book of the Bible, but he was serving an important function to, serve, to awaken the people to the fact that they need to turn back to God. Stop worshiping the Baals and the Asherahs, right? Um, so, so you'll see a lot of Asherah, we talk about this. So when we talk about um, um, Easter, Mm-hmm. Easter is the name of the goddess from the Gaelic islands, you know, England, Wales, Ireland, Scotland. That is the same goddess as Asher. So when you see God here railing against this, that's what that mm-hmm. is, right? No, I know the the people have have said, well, we mix it and it's it's fine because we're worshiping God. Well, guess what they were saying? We think that's unusual and unique because it's become our culture. Well, that's what they were saying too. This is all perfectly fine. We still love God. We've just mixed in this other stuff. This stuff is good too. You understand that? Mm-hmm. It's always our heart that, yeah, those people in the past were bad, but we're good. And then most people don't know, you know, Easter is a, is a fertility goddess. Um, but you tell them, they're like, oh yeah, that, well, that's fine because we're just worshiping Jesus. Well, God hates the mixture. The whole Bible is about hating the mixture. And so, you know, there's certainly, you know, I, I don't want to make too big of a deal about that, but it's an easy thing to point out that represents mixture in our life. And so it becomes a helpful thing for us to be aware of. Wait a minute. In that particular area, I've so easily accepted mixture 
because it's a part of my culture. I didn't make it up. I'm just doing it because everyone else does it. And, and these are good-hearted people that are celebrating this, so it can't be bad, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that's always been the case, and God has always said, I hate that. I want you to be a set-apart people who worship me and learn my ways, and then I will put all of my glory and wisdom and love and truth in you so that you can teach all of creation who I am. But I can't abide the mixture. So it's not about Easter. That's just one thing. It's about our three, the other 364 days a year. It's about, are we looking for ways in which we can be set apart unto the ways of God so that we're open and aware, oh, that way that I've always done that, that way that I've always thought that is actually a worldly custom. It's not the way of God, even if it's part of the church tradition. Lord, help me remove all those such ways from my life and teach me your way so I walk in him. It's a huge thing that the Lord is doing right now. He's going to establish his culture and his remnant people who can then teach a scared, hurting world filled with darkness so that they can see, oh, there's the light. I need the light. See that? So anyways, that's kind of somewhat what he's going to do with Gideon. Gideon says, you know, hey, angel of the Lord, first of all, whoa, why are you here? I'm a little nobody. What are you talking about? You want me to save all of Israel. How is that even possible? I'm not remotely old enough, wise enough, strong enough, or well-known enough to do that. And God says, I'm not looking for those things. I'm looking for someone willing to give me their whole heart. And I've chosen you as one who can do that as I start to teach you my ways. And so the first thing you need to do is destroy these this altar to Baal and Asherah, which your father built. Like, can you imagine? He's not only destroying something that the whole village worships at, his own father built it. It's like unheard of then. It should be unheard of now. Uh, but he's saying, look, the ways of your father are wrong. I'm establishing a new way. And his father, even though he had been leading worship to other gods, uh, showed some godliness to him when confronted by the fact, I'm, I'm convinced, it's not in the scripture, Gideon told his father, look, the angel of the Lord showed up to me and this is what he said. So this is what I did. So when all the people in the village wanted to kill him, I believe his father had given Gideon enough of what it took for the Lord to use to transform him. So then when his father knew his son and said, well, you wouldn't be making this up. Therefore, I think the truth that you're saying is more true than what I've been leading these people in for so long. So I'm going to stand up for you so that the village doesn't kill you and see what the Lord does with you. And, and then I'm totally going off my notes. We, uh, after I highlighted this chapter, these two chapters, we had a long discussion about this. So now I forget what all I highlighted. Um, but Anyways, I think I basically covered it. Uh, Gideon's nervous. He asks for like three different signs, right? But the Lord is gracious. He gives it to him. 
And as we'll see tomorrow, he's going to use him to lead the people. And then we move to Acts 9 and 10. Go ahead. Mm. <clears throat> when Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. He, they did not believe he had truly become a believer. Does that include the apostles? Yeah. I mean, we don't know for sure exactly which one and how each one felt. But this chapter, these two chapters are really an amazing glimpse of what it's like to really be moving into something new that the Lord is doing. When our mind doesn't fully understand it or even understand even very much of it at all. And we have to get used to that kind of living. And they're having to get used to that kind of living. Because they have things in their mind that they think and accept as true because their culture has taught them that. Their religion has taught them that. And God is saying, no, I'm doing something new. Your understanding is far below my understanding. And so the, the apostles there had not been fully transformed. And we're going to see, you know, when, when Paul reprimands Peter, that's many years have gone by, and he's still not fully transformed by the Lord, right? His thinking is still shaped by the way he was brought up to think. And so, again, it's when God is transforming a people, it's, in a, it's a whole work. It's not just a religion. It's not just a certain truth that we need to get a hold of, like Jesus died on the cross for me. It's a transformational process of our entire lives and our entire way of thinking and feeling about things. And so we see that happen. And you see him doing the work. And in all these stories, God is doing the work. And he's orchestrating in multiple people's lives details that have to all come together in order for the thing to happen. No one person could do these things, right? Uh, Acts 9 starts out with Saul breathing murder towards the people. This part of the story is often called the road to Damascus because Paul gets letters to go, per, you know, haul off uh, Jews in Damascus. That's not even their territory, but they're Jews. So they're saying, hey, we're in charge of you because you're Jews. So we're going to pull you back into this part of, you know, this country. This part, of, They're all part of Rome, but we're going to pull you back into the part where we have authority. And we're going to put you in jail. And Jesus says to him on the road, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he's, you know, so we, we know the story there. And, you know, Ananias is sitting there in Damascus, minding his own business, worshiping the Lord. Do you think he woke up that morning thinking, I'm going to send you to a, a guy that murders Christians? <laughs> no, we know he didn't because he said, Lord, uh, I have to correct you on this matter. <laughs> the man that you're sending me to wants to kill us all. And the Lord says, I know that perfectly well, Ananias. I'm God and you're not. But I'm going to do mighty things with him. All you have to do is obey me. So he's probably a little scared too, right? So he goes and does that. Then Paul becomes, Saul becomes Paul. But, you know, he, he, uh, I always thought God changed his name here, but he didn't. We, it's just what we call him now, Paul. But, you know, the murderous Saul becomes Paul. It's a useful, <laughs> it's a useful technique, right? Even though it's not maybe accurate. Um, 
And and the people there are amazed. The Christians are amazed, like, uh-oh, this guy came to kill us, and now we're supposed to be buddies with him? <laughs> the Jews are amazed, because, like, hey, he's supposed to defend us in our position and throw these other guys in jail, and now he's teaching what they're teaching? And so I'm sure it didn't exactly say it, but it said proving Jesus is Messiah, so... I assume some of them came to Christ. And others here want nothing to do with the Messiah. They want their old ways. They want to kill him, right? So then he goes to Jerusalem. And yeah, the disciples have thought their whole lives, the the apostles have thought their whole lives, because Jesus left it to the Holy Spirit to inform them of things that they couldn't handle. And they were not yet ready to handle this idea. Even though Jesus did say, you know, to Judah, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, right? Well, if you think about what that means, that clearly means it's not just going to be Jews. But they couldn't grab hold of that. So they had to learn these things experientially. And so one of their first learnings is this guy that had tried to kill them and throw them in jail before, all of a sudden saying, hey, you're right. I'm with you. Let's preach the, Let's preach Jesus. They're like, whoa, I don't trust you, man. You're going to throw me in jail. Well, they had to learn to accept new things, right? And God made sure Barnabas was there. They knew Barnabas and said, okay, well, Barnabas is saying you're with the Lord now, so we're going to be open to that, right? And and then Peter has this amazing thing where he first he gets a vision. It's seemingly about food. And certainly it is about food. God declared all foods clean. Right? It's important we understand that because a lot of people in the world now think, oh, it's not right to eat certain kinds of food. But here, and back when Jesus was alive, and then later, God declared all foods clean. And so, for us to think of it any other way is to say that we have more wisdom than God. And that's a road many people have gone down, and it always ends in, you know, disaster. Now, as Peter went here and there among them, all he, all oh, sorry, among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived in Lydia. So the story switches now to Peter, right? And he he heals a man, and then Dorcas or Tabitha. See how they have two names? It's the it's the Jewish name and the Greek name. That's what Paul and Saul are. That's you know, there's a lot of names like that. It's because the Jewish custom they would have their own name for their own culture. And then they would have a name to fit into the Greek world. And uh, Jews in America still today do this. Uh, I mean, it probably depends. I'm sure not, not all of them do. Um, but, and so, you know, he heals her. And people are amazed. They come to the Lord. And then he's sitting there praying. And this vision of the food comes down. And he's like, Lord, I would never eat that unclean food. You told Moses not to eat that stuff. And I have never once eaten it, Lord. I will not do such a thing. And he says, hey. Wake up. I'm telling you something new. You have to follow my spirit, not your own understanding. And so he says, okay, Lord, I'm open. And so now he's open to this. And then people come to the door. You know, a Jew would never let a Gentile into his house. And a Jew would never go into a Gentile's house. That's just forbidden according to their customs. And God says, let him in. This is what my dream meant for you. And so he lets him in. And meanwhile, you know, a day or two before, 
God, here you have a Gentile man praying to God. He's earnestly praying to the Lord. And God reveals himself to him. And he tells him where to find Peter, right? So he sends men to Peter. And now Peter's got the men and he comes back with them. And, you know, so Peter's like, all right, I'll preach the, I'll preach, you know, the, the message to you because obviously God sent me here. Do you think God's going to give you, do you think he thinks God's going to give him the Holy Spirit? No way. That's a special thing for them only, right? Mm -hmm. But he does it. So Peter's amazed. He can't believe it. He says, well, if he's going to give you the Holy Spirit, I guess I better baptize you in water, right? Because that's supposed to be the first step. But God seems to uh, have other plans. So I'm going to go ahead and do it because God is obviously in it. And we'll see tomorrow that... Again, the, the apostles in Jerusalem are going to have a big problem with this. They're having to learn a new way of God. Just as we will have to learn, God, what is your ways? Teach us your ways. He's already started this, of course. But there are many more things that we'll have to learn. Oh, the way we've done things in the past was wrong. Lord, teach us your ways. And then we look at Jeremiah 18 and 19. We were just, just discussing how difficult Jeremiah's job was. He whines to God a lot because they're trying to kill him constantly. And he doesn't like that. <laughs> uh, so he's constantly crying out. But uh, God never lets him kill him. He does let them throw him in jail. I think, I think a couple times. In the next chapter. Oh, yeah. and But he never lets them kill him. Right? Mm -hmm. Well, I think he eventually might get killed in Egypt at the very end. But, um, anyways, he, uh... Oh, he went to Egypt to call whoops. them out on that. Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah. That's where they end up going at the end after Jerusalem is sacked. Um, sorry if you're, this is your first time there, Jeremiah. But in, in this going through, I'm not trying to give all the details of, of the Bible. I did that more last year. We're just picking spots to talk about. And I mentioned uh, recently that God gave Jeremiah a lot of props. So we see another prop. He tells him, arise and go down to the potter's house. And there I will let you hear my words. So he goes down there and he teaches them. But he see, and God does this all the time, actually. This isn't so much a prop. He's using something he's seeing in the natural to teach him a spiritual lesson. And God does this with us. He does this with me. Multiple times I've heard many people talk about how God does this. If our eyes are open to spiritual things, God will use things in the natural to teach us. Now, he also gives some, you know, visions and dreams, and those are all wonderful too. Um, anywhere that he teaches us is wonderful. But probably the most common is you see something in the natural, but your ears are open to God. And God starts teaching you a spiritual lesson from something in the natural. So here, a man is making a pot. He's a potter. And all of a sudden, it's not what he wants it to be. So he smashes it and starts over, right? And so God says, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. O house of Israel, if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent, 
of the disaster that I intended to do to it. And if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it, and if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I had intended to do it, to do to it. Now, do you think the people listen to this message? Nope. No. You know why? No. They thought, God established us. We are the people of God. And we have our religious practices where we worship God. And so we are blessed. And they ignored the prophets. Because their hearts were not really for God. Their hearts were for religion and worldliness. Could that ever apply to us? Yes. Okay, because what happens is, that's always the heart of mankind throughout the history of God's people. Over and over and over again. But we always think that could never apply to us. We are blessed. We are planted here. We have Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> God's saying, wake up. I can do to you as this potter did to the clay. And I can pull out a new remnant and start over. And so mm-hmm. we, he wants us guard our hearts. Look for him. Follow him. And I, I know, on one hand, it's, you know, it's difficult. You can get too hard on that message and be scared of your own shadow. Or you can be completely lazy about the message and ignore it. These people were lazy and ignored it and they missed it. God is full of grace and mercy for those who truly want to be raised up in his ways. So it's not actually... <coughs> and I'm trying to use the word... Um, It's easy, but it's not simple, right? It does require us giving him our heart, giving him our life. That part is, you know, Jesus said, worship God with all your mind, all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. Mm -hmm. He didn't say, give me some of your time, right? He said, give it all. He, He very specifically, like, listed every part of you. And said, give it all with all your strength. But he also says elsewhere, my burden is light. Lay down the burdens of the world and take up my yoke. Because my burdens are light. I will do everything for you. You just have to give yourself to me. Right? And we're wrapping up in Mark 4 and 5. And so, you know, we've got a lot of, there's a parable of the sower. And I'm just reading one verse from it. Another seed fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. So this is kind of what we've been talking about. We can be in the outer court. Temple has three parts, right? The Holy mm-hmm. of Holies, the inner court, and the outer court. We can be part of God's people and be in the outer court. That's allowed. That's, mm-hmm. It's well known. That's the reality. Mm-hmm. we can be in the inner court because we give a, a more of ourselves to him. And we get in the inner court. And then we're not just producing 30-fold, we're producing 60-fold, right? Mm-hmm. Or we can give God everything and we can believe him for everything. All these truths in Scripture, 
the flesh, Satan, who's the ruler of this world, which our flesh was born into, wants us to believe these things are true after we die, but they're not true for us now. But God says, well, then why did I give it to you? Why did I come? I came to introduce a kingdom and for you to come into it. And so if you believe me, because you can't have it if you don't believe it. If you believe it and you want it, and then you give everything to me for it. You give up the pearl, you give up all your pearls for the one pearl of great price, right? You give up all your treasure for this one new treasure. You give up everything. For this, you get to come into the Holy of Holies. You get to produce a hundredfold. You get to be a mature son of God, inheriting everything he has. You see that? That's his goal for all of us, but we get to choose which one we are. And then verse 11 says, And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. It's just words. Unless we come in and we receive the real understanding, the real meaning from the Lord. Right? 20. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. I already did that one. 25. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Well, that's not fair. Mm -hmm. That is not fair. I think this world should be fair. And we should all have equal amounts. Socialism, communism. I got an ism for that. I think it should all be fair. What do you think? Well, that's a human idea. God says, Jesus says, to the one who has, more will be given. To the one who doesn't, it'll, with even the little he has will be taken away. He says, don't be satisfied with a little. Give everything to me and I will give you everything. My everything is much greater than all that you have. You see that? 26. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground he sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. See, all we have to do is give him ourselves, believe, want, and seek. And we have no idea how he does it. But he unleashes all of eternity in us. He gives us his wisdom. He gives us his love. He gives us his truth. And then we become a beacon of light in this world, right? Now, he uses others. He's using me to disciple you. He uses Mr. Soon to disciple me, right? So, but he does it. No matter what words pass between me and you, the Lord does it, right? The Holy Spirit transforms us. 31, it is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. Yet it becomes the mightiest tree, right? It starts off as a small thing. We... We, our life in the beginning isn't, doesn't appear any different. We don't even see much difference between us and those around us. But as we continue in this way, we get transformed to where our life is not recognizable. We, we told you when we had our little family devotional this weekend, a little bit of my past, I can tell you my life is not recognizable from what it was. 
Mm-hmm. I am totally transformed. And yet I look <clears throat> forward to what the Lord has before me. And I know I'm going to be able to look back and know that what I have so far is such a small thing compared to what I will have and who I will be. Like, this will be as of nothing. And yet I can look back and think, my God, how much you've transformed me. I couldn't do those things, but I gave myself to him and he's done it. You Mm -hmm. see that? Okay, uh, 40. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? The Lord is shaking. And, you know, the the Samans, Satan, the demonic horde have been unleashed on this world. And they are shaking and people are so scared. And if we're focused on those things, we miss what God's doing. Jesus said, they're scared because their boat's rocking and the storm is shaking and he's sleeping. He says, what is your problem? I am with you. Is that real to you or not? If I am with you, why do you care about what's going on in the world? Which reality is true for you? Me and my kingdom or the world around you? Wake up. I am bringing something better. I am bringing something more real with rules that supersede the rules of this world. Give yourself to this. Trust in me and don't worry about anything else. See that? I didn't have much to say about Mark 5. I think we've said enough. Uh, God bless you. God bless you.